guys, welcome back to Cosmographia Season 2, Episode 4. So we're going to discuss about the, you know, Alberini's India today. So Alberini's India is a book written by Dr. Edward Sachel. Uh, it's actually a translation of um, Alberini's original work, Starik Ehin. So Alberini basically is this guy who came from far away, you know, province uh, of Mehmet of Ghazni, in fact. He was a contemporary of uh, Udbi, who wrote Tariq al-Yamini. Now, Alberini ventured into India and, in his words, you know, he learned the culture of the Hindus. He got Sanskritized, some sort of... Uh, and he wrote a book. Now, in this book, uh, today we will discuss about the origin of the dynasty of the Shahis of Kabul. So, uh, you know, I've I written an article on this uh, Kabul Shahis sometime earlier for, for the Sunday Guardian. We can call them the Hindu Shahis as well, the Kabul Shahis, whatever suits them. But interestingly, uh, Al-Biruni, as, uh, in this history, you know, he says that, I quote, the Hindus had kings residing in Kabul, Turks, who were said to be of Tibetan origin. The first of them, Barhatakin, came into the country and entered a cave in Kabul, which none could enter except by creeping on hands and knees. The cave had water, and besides, he deposited the victuals for a certain number of days. It is still known in our time and is called Var. People who considered the name of Baratakin as a good omen entered the cave and bring out some of its water with great trouble. Certain groups of peasants were walking before the door of the cave. Creeks of this kind can only be carried out and become notorious if the author has made a secret arrangement with somebody else, in fact, with confederates. Now these had induced Persians to walk there continually, day and night in turns, so that the place was never empty of people. Some days after he had entered the cave, he began to creep out of it in the presence of the people who looked on him as a newborn baby. He wore Turkish dress, a short tunic, open in front, a high hat, boots and arms. Now people honoured him as a being of miraculous origin, who had been destined to be king, and in fact he brought those countries under his sway and ruled them under the title of a Shahia of Kabul. That's the origin of Kabul Shahis. The rule remains among his descendants for generations, a number of which is said to be about 60. Unfortunately, the Hindus do not pay much attention to the historical order of things that are very careless in relating chronological succession of their kings and when they are pressed for information and are at a loss, not knowing what to say, they invariably take to telltelling. But for this, we should communicate to the reader the traditions which we have received from some people among them. I have been told that the pedigree of this royal family, written on silk, exists in the fortress Nagarkot, and I much desired to make myself acquainted with it, but the thing was impossible for various reasons. One of these kings was Kanik, the same who is said to have built the Vihara or Buddhistic monastery of Purushwar. It is called, after him, Kanik Chaitya. People relate that the king of Kanoj had presented to him, among other gifts, a gorgeous and most singular piece of cloth. 
Now Kanek wanted to have dresses made out of it for himself, but his tailor had not the courage to make them, for he said, There is in the embroidery the figure of a human foot, and whatever trouble I may take, the foot will always lie between the shoulders, and that means the same as we have already mentioned in the story of Bali, the son of Virochana. Nokanik felt uh, convinced that the ruler of Kanoj had thereby intended to vilify and disgrace him and in hot haste set out with his troops marching against him. When the Rai heard this, he was greatly perplexed for he had no power to resist Kanik. Therefore he consulted his wazir and the latter said, You have roused a man who was quite before and have done unbecoming things. Now cut off my nose and lips and let me be mutilated so that I might find a cunning device for there is no possibility of an open resistance. The Rai did with him as he had proposed and then he went off to the frontiers of the realm. There he was found by the hostile army, was recognized and brought before Kanik who, was, uh, who asked what the matter was with him. The wazir said, I tried to dissuade him, that's the Rai, from opposing you and sincerely advised him to be obedient to you. He, however, conceived a suspicion against me and ordered me to be mutilated. Since then, he has gone of his own accord to a place which a man can only reach by a very long journey when he marches on the high road, but which he may easily reach by undergoing the trouble of crossing an intervening desert, supposing that he can carry with himself water for so and so many days. Thereupon, Kanik answered, the latter is easily done. He ordered water to be carried along and engaged the wazir to show him the roads. The wazir marched before the king and led him into a boundless desert. After the number of days had elapsed and the road did not come to an end, the king asked the wazir what was now to be done. Then the wazir said, No blame attaches to me that I tried to save my master and to destroy his enemy. The nearest road lending out of this desert is that on which you have come. Now do with me as you like, for none will live this desert alive. Then Kanek got on his horse and rode around a depression in the soil. In the center of it, he thrust his spear into the earth and lo, water poured from it in sufficient quantity for the army to drink upon and to draw from for the march back. Upon this the wazir said, I had not directed my cunning scheme against powerful angels, but against feeble men. As things stand thus, accept my intercession for the prince, my benefactor, and pardon him. Kanik answered, I march back from this place. Thy wish is granted to thee. Thy master has already received what is due to him. Kanik returned out of the desert, and the wazir went back to his master, the Rai of Kanoj. There he found that on the same day when Kanik had thrust his spear into the earth, both the hands and feet had fallen off the body of the Rai. Now the third section in this story is the end of the Tibetan dynasty and the origin of the Brahman dynasty. So what he says is, the last king of this race was Lagaturman and his wazir was Kallar, a Brahman. Alatta had been fortunate in Sofa as he had found by accident hidden treasures which gave him influence and power. In consequence, the last king of this Tibetan house, after it had held the royal power for so long a period, let 
lighted by degrees slipped from his hands. Besides, Lagaturman had bad manners and a worse behavior on account of which people complained of him greatly to the Vizier. Now the Vizier put him in chains and imprisoned him for correction, but then he himself found ruling sweet. His riches enabled him to carry out his plans and so he occupied the royal throne. After him ruled the Brahman kings Samanan at Samanta, Kamalu, Bhim Bhima, Jaipal, Jaipala, Anandapal, and Trilochanapala. The latter was killed in AD 1021 or Arab Islamic history 412 and his son Bhimapal five years later, AD 1026. This Hindu Shahiya dynasty is now extinct and of the whole house there is no longer the slightest remnant in existence. We must say that in all of their grandeur they never slackened in the ardent desire of doing that which is good and right and that they were men of noble sentiment and noble bearing. I admired the following passage in a letter of Anandpal which he wrote to the Prince Mahmud when the relations between them were already strained to the utmost. I have learned, I quote, I have learned that the Turks have rebelled against you and is spreading in Khurasan. If you wish, I shall come to you with 5,000 horsemen, 10,000 foot soldiers and 100 elephants or if you wish I shall send you my son with double the number. In acting thus I do not speculate on the impression which this will make on you. I have been conquered by you and therefore I do not wish that another man should conquer you. The same prince cherished the bitterest hatred against the Muhammadans from the time when his son was made a prisoner whilst his son Trilochanapala or as the author calls him Tarojanapala was very opposite of his father. Thank you very much for listening to Cosmographia Season 2 Episode 4. If you did like to our podcast, do subscribe and rate it on Apple, Google, Ghana, Spotify and Geo7 and do come back for more. Thank you.